Welcome to a healthy bite. You're one nibble closer to a more satisfying way of life, a healthier you, and bite-sized bits of healthy motivation. Now let's dig in on the dish with Rebecca Huff. I am so excited to be here today with author Lisa Levine. Lisa has written a book that is called Midlife No Crisis, and I love it because I actually even have slides from a talk I used to do called Midlife Without the Crisis, because I think this is such an important topic. So I'm so glad to have you here. Thank you for coming on the show. It's my pleasure. Thanks for inviting me. And yeah, it's something that I could talk about, you know, endlessly, because it doesn't have to be a crisis. I, yeah, and, and certainly, you know, it, it can be, it's so filled with possibility of transformation, which is, in my opinion, always a good thing. Agree. So let's clarify right up front. I just want to let everyone know that for, for the discussion today, we're mainly going to be focusing on women, although we know that the typical image or stereotype that you think of when you hear midlife crisis is usually the man, or at least it, that's the way it's portrayed in Hollywood. But for today's discussion, we are going to be talking about women's issues. So why did you write this book? Can you start with telling me a little <laughs> bit about that? Yeah, I wrote this book. I actually really probably started writing this book when I started writing a blog and that because I'm now 57 and I started writing my blog when I was around 49 and I guess I was 50. I was going through my crisis when I went, went quote unquote crisis when I was 48. And I recognized when I got to the other side of it, how, what a remarkable thing, remarkable opportunity it was to dive in and to re, I don't even want to say reinvent myself because it was not <laughs> a complete reinvention. It was just a reconnection of getting in touch with the things that filled me up and allowing the space for that. And so once I started to write about it, it kind of grew from there. And then the book was born really from those blog posts, from, from that seed. So uh, it, it means a lot a to me. It started with a blog and it means a lot to me to, I feel like one of the things that I can do is to help other women feel empowered in their journeys. And so it meant a lot to me to help others reconnect to themselves as opposed to falling into the crisis story. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. For sure. So in your blog, when you were starting this out, was it more from the perspective of what you were going through or was it kind of like sharing advice for other women? I think it was a combination. I, I wouldn't, I would not share advice about something I hadn't experienced mm-hmm. myself. Mm-hmm. And so it was very much about this is how it looked. This is what it looked like for me. These are the things I was thinking or feeling. And this is what I learned from that. And this is how it might also apply to your own personal experience. Gotcha. Well, we know from, like I said, the stereotypes, what a male midlife crisis looks like, at least the portrayal. What is a midlife crisis or this I know some people don't like to use the words midlife crisis. So whatever you want to call it, we're calling it for the sake of this podcast, we're going to call it a midlife crisis. What does that typically look like for a woman? Typically, it's a conflict between a person's perception of themselves and their lives as the way they think it should be and what they want them to be you know, versus what, it, what it's happening right now. So it's generated by 
a desire to change your identity in some way. And I found that there's actually a really interesting term called middle sense, sort of like it's like adolescence, but it, it happens. I, I don't remember who coined that phrase mm. back in the, I think it first came out in the 60s. I'm not sure. But there's a woman named Barbara Waxman who talks about middle sense quite a bit. And it's, it correlates with adolescence in terms of that it's a traditional time for searching for identity and greater meaning. But the difference is that you're not driven by your hormones. You're more, you find yourself, there's, it's spaciousness, it's openness, because you're not being driven by your hormones. Your hormones are still in play, mind you, and it's, it's all about, that's menopause, and we can talk about that. But there's a spaciousness, there's room all of a sudden, because you're not driven in the same biological way that you are when you're an adolescent. So middle sense is, yeah, it's about, it's about a transition and a searching. And I think a midlife, it can feel like a crisis because you're, you're going, what, what is this all there is? Like what? And in fact, it, again, it's an invitation mm-hmm. in my opinion, it is an invitation. So that's kind of what it is. It's really, you can look at it almost like a second adolescence, except with a whole lot more wisdom and less hormonal drive. And so, yeah, and the way that it, the reason it's a crisis is because, again, it's that perception of, of the, it's a questioning of the perception of who you are and what you're, what's going to happen. Mm-hmm. And maybe the questioning of some choices you've made in the past. hundred <laughs> percent of choices that you've made in the past and, and what that will, will look like going forward. You know, right. is there something about turning 50 or hitting that middle mark where you suddenly go, um, oh my gosh, I really, there, I do have, there is an expiration date on this life of mine. Mm -hmm. So the urgency about what do I want to do is, comes into play sometimes Mm -hmm. in a a much, certainly in a different way than when you're an adolescent. I do want to clarify. So one, it can happen at other ages. It can happen earlier. It can happen a little later. It doesn't happen at the exact, like, you know, the day you turn 50. I feel like for some women, perhaps it starts a little earlier. In my case, I know it did. And I wanted to go back to the hormone bit. So do you feel like hormones play a factor at all in this change? Absolutely. In the sense that, you know, when your body is doing things differently than it has in the past, our brains don't like change. Our brains don't mm-hmm. like change. And True. so anytime things start to get changed up, you're, you start to freak out a little bit. And so because the hormones, and it, not everybody has a huge hormonal side effects. Some people don't have a lot of um, night sweats or hot flashes or brain mm-hmm. fog. And some people have it very much, you know, much more intensely. And there are, we're all different. We're all biologically uniquely different. So we don't all have the same experiences, but I do think that it can come into play because say for instance, you know, you've always been an excellent sleeper your entire life. And then all of a sudden your hormones start to act up and you're dealing with insomnia and it makes everything feel a thousand percent worse. And it certainly can contribute to what the hell is going on with me. And you can, you know, you don't think straight. Another thing is, you know, for me, I found that I couldn't drink red wine anymore. And I love red wine. And I remember thinking like, oh, you know, it's got resveratrol. It's so good for me, full of antioxidants. But when I would drink red wine, even a little bit, 
I would have hot flashes and night sweats. And so that it was like, oh my gosh, now I have to give this up. I love this thing. How do, why do I have to give it up? So that can also can contribute to this. My life is going downhill. Everything's going down the tubes. Everything's changing and more of a freak out as opposed to hmm, curious mm-hmm. what's going on. Mm. So. so hormones, definitely. How much does these other factors come into play, such as our mental health, you know, what the state of our mental well-being is at the moment, circumstances, trauma that we may be faced in our childhood, our personality types. How much do those factors come into play with this crisis period of time? Well, again, everybody's different. So it really depends on your unique situation. But Feeling, anytime you have feelings of pessimism or hopelessness, your, your mental health is affected. And say, you know, so restlessness, anxiety, irritability, feelings of guilt or worthlessness, confusion, overwhelm. I mean, and you can be directing, oftentimes we internalize those, like I screwed up, I made a choice. And then also it can lead to um, resentment of others. So anytime, and, and compare and despair, that's another one, that's another really big thing when you're starting to look at other people's lives and comparing them to your own as opposed to just staying in your own lane and figuring out what's going to work for you. So that can, it, it all leads to self-criticism, not a useful thing. And so that is kind of where the mental health aspect comes in, in my opinion. And also there's this kind of constant refrain of what's it all about like I used to there's an old song called I think the refrain is what's it all about or is that all there is and I remember thinking when I was in my depths of of despair that, that it felt like that was on repeat all the time and uh, as far as childhood trauma or re, re you know triggering trauma I think that really would depend again on what you experienced, did your mother go through a really rough time when she was in menopause or going, approaching menopause? What happened to you? So yeah, it could absolutely trigger. I mean, for me, my mother had a, she didn't even remember when I asked her about it. She never discussed it with me. So I think that having those conversations can be really important. And, um, and certainly like if you're a glass half empty person in general, (laughs) This can, this can come into play. You know, it's like, why is this always happening to me? Why? How, I can't believe this is happening to me in my life. As opposed to, huh, this is happening right now. I wonder why. I wonder what I can, you know, I wonder, I wonder what, it, what it means. I wonder what I can learn from this. I wonder what opportunities might come out of this. If you're more of a glass half full person. Mm. I don't know if that answers that question, but I really think that everyone is different, uniquely different. Mm -hmm. It does answer the question, but it brings up so many other questions. (laughs) I like trying to focus and think of all of the things I want to compare and despair that I love that. That's so accurate about what we do. We're comparing ourselves to people, not even in our age bracket. I mean, it's even you know, so setting that aside, because obviously we know that that's something that we need to work on. We don't need to compare ourselves to others. Uh, We need to measure our life and our success by our own yardstick, not someone else's. Resentment, you said something about it can lead to resentment of others. Can you elaborate just a bit on that? Well, I think that certainly it's, for instance, if you've been married for a long time, you know, if you're in a marriage, 
you can start to, if you're not discussing things, if you're not in a marriage where conversation and communication is a regular factor, then your resentment can start to build. And certainly if you're uh, having, if you're, if you're in that identity vortex where you're going, what the heck is happening, mm-hmm. then it's very easy if you're not communicating with your partner to, to veer into resentment. In fact, you probably already have before your midlife crisis, but it can right. become very, very uh, <laughs> exacerbated. And with your teenage, say you're raising kids and you've got mm-hmm. teenagers and, you know, teenagers are going through adolescence while you're potentially in middle sense. And, you know, if you have a teenager, if you know, you know, I mean, they can be a real pain in the neck and, you know, they, they know how to push through every button. So it can mm-hmm. be, you can start to think, well, I thought I could be doing this, that, and the other thing if it weren't for this sulky teenager or this boss who's not paying attention to my needs. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not valued in my workplace. It can be, resentment can really play a big factor. Can be a clash of all those things. Wow. It's just yeah. so much on your plate at one time. So much of what it's you said resonated with me just then. <laughs> and I'm sure many of our listeners who have been in this situation can probably relate to a lot of things that you just said. When you're questioning your identity in any way, it can feel like what might what we call a square one meltdown. And what that means is that if you're comparing the, our life cycle to the human metamorphosis to that of a caterpillar, for instance, like when a caterpillar changes into a butterfly, it creates a cocoon and it goes into its cocoon and it literally melts down into DNA goop. It doesn't just go in there and then grow wings. It has to melt down. And then stage two is when it starts to reform. And, in or, and it climbs out of the cocoon. That's the dreaming and scheming stage, we call it. Mm-hmm. And it starts to climb out. And when you're in that dreaming and scheming, you're reforming, you're sort of testing out all the possibilities in your mind. Stage three is it's the hero's journey. It's when, the, when the, the butterfly climbs out and you really can't help it. Like you have to do it on your own. You can't, if somebody tried to, if you were to open a cocoon and try to help the butterfly out, the butterfly would die. It needs to create, it needs to go on that journey on its own. And then stage four is kind of home. So I use that uh, framework for my coaching clients. And when we're in a square one situation, we're in the meltdown. The best things to do really are small moves, not big moves. So in terms of getting a divorce, for instance, unless you're in a situation where you've been in counseling for years and years and you've tried it and you can honestly look yourself in the eye and say, I've I've given this everything I have and I'm I'm ready to move on as painful as it is. That's, that's one, that's a different conversation. But if you're all of a sudden you're at 47 and you're like, everything sucks. I don't know. I think maybe I, I just need to get a divorce. Then I would say, small moves, get a counselor or a life coach or somebody that can help you figure out really what's going on. And friends are great. If I weren't for my girlfriends, I don't know what I would do. But uh, Mm. sometimes it's helpful to have an unbiased soundboard, somebody to really talk to where you can say all the things that you might not say to your girlfriends that you might not even realize that you were thinking until you said them out loud. And sometimes that's the main thing you need to do is just hear them. You know, as a coach, I hold space for my clients so they can just say what they need to say. And sometimes, and I reflect it back to them. There's so much truth. And it's just such a powerful thing that you said, because I feel like, you know, it can be a little bit of a mixture of things, you know, and I do feel like sometimes 
it's not a great time to make really life altering decisions if you're not a hundred percent stable in your hormones and like where you, you know, you're sure where you're going, but what you said about being a hundred percent sure. And I think that's where a therapist counselor or life coach can really come in because, and this is, I think a misconception that a lot of people have when you have a life coach or a therapist is that they are going to tell you what to do. And that's Mm -hmm. not at all how it works. You figure out what to do. The coach or the therapist is just there to facilitate your understanding and process your own feelings. So, a hundred percent. I mean, I I always say to my clients right from the get go, I'm not an expert in you. You are an expert in you. Mm-hmm. I I am I am not that at all. I am here to listen and to reflect back, and then to help give you some tools so you can navigate your way out of wherever you are. I'm not going to do it for you. I mean, the difference between coaching and therapy is really, you know, a a life coach is is, um, kind of like a trainer for your mind. It's really about coming back to what are you thinking? What are your thoughts? How can you notice what those thoughts even are so that you can start to question them and say, are these true? Is this, is this really happening? Because so many of our thoughts that we have when we hit, um, you know, midlife are based on cultural um, myths, you know, uh, it's, it's, there's so much there about, you know, over the hill. And I mean, I love that perfect example is that, you know, women who want a divorce at this age, it must be some childhood trauma thing. It's never, you know, it's, it's got, it's not about the man. It's always about something, you know, something mm-hmm. that's a myth. That is a really, I think a good example of a lot of BS, but it's a thought, right? So when you question it and you, you start to dive in, then it can, that can create some meaningful change. And so as a coach, that's really what I'm focusing on with my clients. I'm not, I'm not a a therapist. Right. And I think there's a big difference between a therapist and a coach. A coach is helping you, like, I think, go towards the future where a therapist is kind of helping you understand your past. I mean, that's obviously a very simplified explanation of the differences, but there is a difference between what a coach does and a therapist. So in what we're talking about basically is decision-making and when it comes to decision-making, is there really any advice that you can share or just like maybe some, not necessarily concrete rules, but some guidelines, I guess, that women can go by if they're feeling uncertain because, you know, when you get into this period of life, it feels like, oh, all of these things are so heavy and I, I just have all of it. And it can be almost like burnout or overwhelm and you just want to make a change, but you're not maybe sure what the change needs to be. And then you start making decisions. What are some guidelines to go by to just make sure that we stay safe and make good decisions during this period of life? Yeah, that's a great question. I would just start by referring back to that whole square one meltdown thing, which is about small moves are best when you're in, in, in an identity transformation, when you feel like who you are is called into question, then making small moves is definitely good. And also in terms of that metaphor, if you're cocooning, then sometimes literally wrapping yourself in a blanket, having a cup of tea, giving yourself permission to have what I call mouth view versus hawk view right? So you don't have to see the whole picture. You just need to see what's happening right in front of you. You just need to see what your next move is. What are the next 10 minutes, you know, 12 hours day, next day looks like versus Mm -hmm. looking at the bigger picture. So that's one thing is giving yourself permission to back it up and just what's, what needs to happen next? What's my next move? 
another thing that I like to remember is that how do we have the life that we want? It's by being awake in the life that we're already in. Mm. So just think about that for a second, because it's like, we're so busy going, what happened behind us and what might happen in front of us that we are not in the present moment. What's happening right now? How do I feel in my body? How can I reconnect to my body? Because we're all so up in our heads all the time. How can I, how does it feel right now? How do I feel right this minute and going from there? So I, you know, life doesn't always deliver those aha moment. Sometimes it's more of what I call a glimmering or a, a yes, this moment. And I like to encourage my clients to pay attention to those glimmerings or those yes, this feelings. And I, one of the ways I talk about in my book is creating a vision board that can be really fun. If you don't know exactly what's going to happen, you don't necessarily sit down and say, you know, I'm going to vision my next vacation, although that's okay too. Nothing wrong with that. But it's more about going through magazines and pulling out the pages that appeal to you. You might not know exactly why. It might not come together until you've got it all sort of in a pile. And and paying it, and then noticing, well, how does this picture make me feel? How does How does that image, what am I feeling? And how can I get more of that? What is, what is that making me feel? So sometimes what you might find is that what you're really creating is freedom. And what can you do right now to sort of get some of that feeling? So what, what will help you make, feel, make you feel free right now without, you know, basically burning your entire life down? Wow, that is really powerful advice. So can, would you be able to give us some examples of how can we spend, I understand the being present, but I think a lot of people really don't get, like when you unpack being present, what does that mean? Like, how do you do that? How do we spend less time feeling that being in our head or mm-hmm. looking past, looking ahead? How can we break that down a little bit? Like, what does that yeah. even look like for a woman? Well, it looks, well, again, we're all uniquely different, right? But I, it, it really all comes back to, if you're talking about being present, then it's typically some form of mindfulness or meditation. And I know that a lot of people, when they hear that, they're like, oh God, I suck at meditation. Woo-woo. I meditation, I can't do that. <laughs> yeah. Or yeah, or woo-woo. But because of the way, again, that our brains are wired, which is to keep us safe and to go scanning the environment. So what's out there? What, what did we miss? Don't forget there's that cave is dangerous. You don't want to go in there. You know what, because we're wired that way, it feels like it can feel like a tremendous undertaking. And I know myself when I would sit down to meditate that my, you know, I would be good for about 38 seconds until I was like, Oh God, the dentist appointment and what am I making for dinner? And Oh God, you know, whatever it was that was calling me back. The thing about meditation, the thing that makes it so powerful is that it's not just about getting still. It's about training your brain to come back to now. Right. So it's about, okay, thinking I'm having a thought now I'm coming back, following your breath is another, you know, breathing meditations are good. So it can look like that. It can also look like doing something that makes it brings you into the present. So for me, it happens to be cooking. Like I love to cook and I, and I doesn't have to, and I'm not a fancy cook, but I love when I'm in there, when I'm chopping, when I'm, when I'm getting ready to cook something, I am present. I am not worrying. I'm not fretting. I'm enjoying where I am in the moment. 
So any activity that gets you into that moment is to that, whether it's exercising, you know, even just taking a walk, being in nature, petting your dog, anything, getting a massage, anything that can feel like you're just not in your head and you're in the present moment. So I, I, the other thing that I think is great for that is journaling. And I think that that is, you know, if a vision board isn't your cup of tea, if that feels too woo-woo, <laughs> journaling is a really great option for just getting all that stuff out of your head. And I don't know if you've heard of Julian Cameron, the artist Sway. She wrote a book 20 years ago about basically how to reconnect to your creative side. And a few years ago, she put out a new edition, which is called, it's never too late to begin again. So it's really geared toward the midlife person. And so the questions are slightly rejiggered and it's a really great resource for trying to, for, for being present and coming back into the now and noticing what's happening and how you're feeling and um, what's going on. Mm, I love that. that that's, a lot of really good actionable examples. I think I'm going to make a bullet list with those. So okay. that that's very helpful. I, I really appreciate that so much. And I think sometimes just like hands-on understanding, how do I do that? And when you said the mm -hmm. cooking example, that really resonated with me because I love cooking and I can see how you can really be present when you're chopping and the steam and the, you know, just the whole cooking yeah. experience for me for being present for me. I have two things to add. Another thing is that if meditation feels too overwhelming, then you could institute what I call a pausing practice instead of a meditation practice. So what that means is that throughout your day, you could either set a timer on your phone, you could create a, like a cue for yourself. So anytime you were at a red light, you take a deep breath. A pausing practice is a moment where you literally stop, put your feet on the ground or in your car or wherever it is, and take one, two, or even three deep breaths, and then just notice it. it what it, what that does is it activates your parasympathetic nervous system, which is the opposite of fight or flight. It's the it's the rest and digest. It's the chill, mm -hmm. and so that is a great thing to do with a pausing practice to bring you back to the right now to lower your cortisol. Another thing that helps is literally if you put your hand on your heart, even two hands on your heart and take a deep breath, it, it, there's a response. Your body just dips a little bit. So that mm. those things can be great for a pausing practice. And the last thing I wanted to say is committing to a mindset change. So this isn't so much about pausing, but what it is, is it's about committing to staying curious instead of to panicking. So knowing that, that I'm, I'm, I'm noticing, I'm observing what's happening. It's like you're putting on your detective hat or your watcher hat. And when you start to freak out, to separate yourself and notice what's happening, I'm going to look at this as a, as a curious observer, as an mm. anthropologist, what's happening. So the minute you start to create some space between you and the negative thoughts that swirl around is the minute they start to lose a little bit of power. And you can notice that even just now if we're talking, if you're saying, I'm freaking out versus, huh, I'm having the thought that I'm freaking out. It feels completely different. True. <laughs> yeah. So just some space in between you and the thoughts is a good thing. Very, yes. That, that makes a lot of sense. Pausing and kind of seeing the situation as maybe almost as a bystander watching your life and not being so inside of your head like you were 
saying before, that makes a lot of sense. So it gives you a moment to kind of step back. The last thing to add to that is just giving yourself some grace. My goodness. This stuff right. is not all natural. You know, like sometimes you have to remind yourself or you have to, or, or you, you know, you learn new tools. Give yourself some grace because, you know, this stuff can be really hard. And so when you start to remind yourself that you are just a human, you're just, we're all just walking each other home. You're just a human. You're just trying to figure out what's going on. And that's okay. You don't have to have Mm -hmm. it all figured out. You don't have to be perfect. Mistakes will be made. Give yourself some grace. Yeah. I think that's something that as women, we don't do enough is giving ourselves that grace. We give other people more grace than we give ourselves. Mm -hmm. And I think that could be part of maybe why midlife, you know, that transition kind of also feels a little bit like burnout. It's a very similar feeling in my experience of just like, okay, I've done this for so long. It's a lot. And I'm really tired. Is this all there is to life and what's next? So Mm -hmm. yeah, I think those techniques could be very, very helpful. Changing gears a little bit. I am wondering, I don't want to put too much emphasis on it, but as women, a lot of us are pretty social. And like you mentioned, you have friends and it can be very helpful to talk to your friends. And then it can be also helpful to talk to a therapist because you can let your guard down a little bit more. Mm -hmm. Uh, But say you are a woman and you've maybe already been through kind of this midlife transition and you come out the other side and, you know, you're empowered, but then you have another friend who maybe is going through this transition in her own way, and you see some of those struggles, is there any way to help your friend? Like, what's the best way to help a friend going through this? Well, first off, I'd say go buy them my book. (laughs) 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 It's all right there. Yeah. It's designed for, (laughs) thank you. It's designed for when you're in overwhelm, specifically uh, because sort of going back to that square one thing, it's Mm bite-sized pieces of information. So you read it and you're not overwhelmed. Yeah. I love how you put these little, these pages, which are not just, you know, straight content, you know, it's like these little pep talks you get throughout the book, which I think that's really cool. So yes, getting the book. Asking them what they really need, like, you know, and not trying to fix it, but just listening because, you know, as women, we're so interested in, well, what is try this and what is try that and let's fix it. And sometimes (laughs) we just, you know, it's, it's harder for us as friends to do the listening but, you know, meaning just listen and not fix, but it's often just what our friends need. It's just, mm. you know, wow. It's called active listening where mm-hmm. you're just saying, oh, that must be, that must suck. I'm so sorry you're going through this. Why, you know, just to really be there and not try to fix it. The other thing is to be patient with them, especially if you've been through it yourself. You know that there's another, there's the, there's the other side and that eventually they will get there and to remind them of that. You know what? You've done hard things before. This is really hard. Is this the hardest thing you've ever done? Maybe, maybe not. Maybe you've done other things that are much harder and you've gotten through it. So you are resilient and you will get through this. And I am here for you to, you know, I will, I will hold your hand the whole time. Mm-hmm. And so being paid and, and also creating some engaging experiences because sometimes again, in that whole, I want to fix it. Sometimes what we just need is to do something fun. 
with our friends that's not just going out and having a glass of wine or, you know, what, what, or, or watching a movie. It could be something really off the beaten path. I mean, I'm, what comes to mind for me right now, because it's almost spring and I'm in the Northwest, is, you know, go see the tulips. That we have huge fields of tulips. Like just getting anything that you can get outside into nature is like bonus points. But creating some kind of engaging experience with your friend that's going to get them out of the everyday. So it's kind of like that is, it is, it does shake up the brain because it's not the same old, same old. It's something different, which is a good thing. Very supportive. So active listening and do some kind of adventure that's fun and out of the ordinary for you both. I like that. Very good advice. I guess reflecting back on something that you said before, because like I said, there were so many rabbit trails I wanted to go down when you were talking, but can only ask one question at a time. (laughs) So (laughs) you said compare and despair. And I think that our society as a whole kind of sets women up for this. I mean, we, we are taught to compare and despair from the time we hit puberty, I feel like, but it's Mm -hmm. really, really rampant at our age because we see so many examples of ageism. I I, I don't want to throw anyone under the bus, but there's a couple of shows out right now where a 56 year old is played by a 35 year old Mm -hmm. actress and that kind of thing. You know, there's plenty of actresses that are in their fifties. I'm just like, why can we not cast an age appropriate person for this role? Uh, So when it comes to ageism, do you think we're ever going to get this right? Like, how do we, how do we fight that, that whole ageism thing? And why is it more skewed towards women than men? Oh my gosh, I sure hope we can get it right one day. And I think having conversations like this is absolutely an entry point to starting to get it right. I mean, Mm -hmm. we're talking about what would boil down to a cultural revolution in a lot of ways. Basically. You know, this mythology is so deeply rooted. And, you know, I think, again, it's recognizing that, well, first of all, who are those, who are those cultural norms benefiting? And when I think about it, who do they benefit? They benefit men and they benefit corporations, they benefit, they benefit the diet culture, they benefit people who are selling you something. Because mm-hmm. initially, if you're starting to think, I have to change the way I look, I have to, you know, look younger, I have to anti aging, da da da, you are going to end up spending a lot of throwing a lot of money at that problem, potentially. Mm-hmm. And so who does that benefit? And, you know, this whole thing about men want a younger model, you know, it's I, I stopping Stop buying into that for one thing. Recognize because that goes back to questioning your thoughts, right? And and all revolutions really are started with. I mean, you got to start in yourself. You have to start by changing your own personal views. So recognizing what you know, who says who is a question I like to ask. Asking mm. questions says who. Why would I believe that? Where do I think that came from? So noticing that, you know, part of it is that we're living a lot longer than we ever lived before. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we now have this whole period of time after age 50, like between 50 and 85, where we have potentially 30, 40 more years to make a difference, to be, to get out there and do things. And so, you know, the more time we spend believing the, the, bull, the bull, you know, the junk and all the, the mythology, that just takes us away from ourselves. It doesn't benefit anybody. So I definitely, and and, you know, here's another example of cultural differences. Uh, For instance, in Japan, women in midlife, it's called your second spring. 
And so when women come into that time of their life, they're celebrated, they're revered. It's a beautiful, it's a beautiful cultural uh, transition. And here it is not. So it is definitely this, this society, this culture, for sure. So recognizing that and realizing that it's not necessarily true. It's, it's how we've, it's how it's been set up. And like most things in our culture, it was set up by men. You know, and so we don't have to, we, we, we can make the change by sticking together. Mm-hmm. So following people on social media that aren't people that make you go, oh God, I wish I had that life versus, oh, wow, I, I'm inspired to make mm-hmm. a change. I'm inspired to let my silver hair grow in. I'm inspired to wear that or do that or say that or hang out with these people, whatever it is that if you notice that it's making you feel crummy, mm-hmm. that's compare and despair. If you notice mm-hmm. that it makes you feel energized, that's a whole different conversation. Yeah. I, so many thoughts went through my head when you were saying that. I just feel like we could carry on this conversation forever, but obviously we can't. <laughs> but yeah, I, I am part of groups, the Silver Revolution. I can't remember. I'm in two or three different Facebook groups about, you know, letting your hair be, you know, natural, let the gray come in. I've been letting my hair be gray for probably five or six, maybe longer. It first started actually because, and this is to me a sign of change in the next generation, or maybe it's just a pat on the back for how I raised my kids. But my oldest son, who's 23, he's 23 now, but at the time he was in his teens and I was like, Oh, I'm starting to get gray hair. Maybe I should go have my hair colored. And he's like, no mom, don't do that. Why would you cover up your wizard status? You've got to wait. You've got to get to a hundred percent wizard status. So like in his mind, having the gray hair was so cool. And I was like, I love that. And I hate coloring my hair. You have to sit there for hours and it makes my scalp burn and I don't want to do that. So big deal. Why do I have to deny the fact that I'm getting gray hair? I'll be 50 in a few months. Of course, I'm going to have some gray hair. So I stopped coloring my hair. And you know what? It's, it's, it's an, I'm not going to say that it's been a process where I've never thought maybe I should go color my hair. I would look younger, but those are fleeting moments. And for yes, the most I, part, it's been I, great. I love, I love that uh, metaphor. That's awesome. With your wizard status. I've never heard that. That's terrific. <laughs> because it's it. your wisdom. As you get yeah, older, that's... you get wiser. Hopefully most of us. <laughs> yeah. Hopefully most of us. I will also say this is that again, it really depends on what's motivating you. So some people are going to let their hair grow out and some people are going to keep coloring their hair mm-hmm. and that's okay. It's like, right. why are you doing what you're doing? Who are you doing it for? What, how does it make you feel? It's mm-hmm. really all about that. If it feels like, Oh, I have to, I have right. to color my hair or I have to, oh, I better get some filler or, you know, whatever that is noticing that because you know, we got to have each other's backs here. Mm-hmm. Us women got to Got to quit judging each other mm-hmm. as much as we do and supporting each other. And part of supporting each other says, why are you doing that? What, what about that makes you feel good, you know, and mm-hmm. noticing and, and being as opposed to judging huge. I think that's a great point that you made because honestly, that's, that's exactly how it is. I mean, and in these groups, you know, the women are not judgmental at all. Everyone's so mm-hmm. supportive, but for me, letting my hair go gray is very empowering. I, it's to me, my way of saying that I'm okay with who I am and the way I look. And if someone else doesn't approve for whatever reason, that's none of my business. Mm-hmm. It might not be so empowering for another woman and that's her decision. And that is exactly what you said is that we've got to stop judging one another. And I think that's so powerful when you stop judging each other. Oh, wow. 
I mean. Yeah, it's every, well, think about how much time you get back, all that energy you might have spent judging someone else you could put toward improving, you know, life in general, put toward loving yourself or loving them, just loving in general, honestly, mm-hmm. instead of judging is a huge guideline, I think, that we could all do with adapting a little bit more of. And as far as Hollywood is concerned, like I said, I, I know what movie you're talking about, at least I think <laughs> I do. And then for every one of those, there's another one that's like, for instance, Nomadland that's just out with Frances McDormand. She is getting a lot of positive feedback for never doing anything to with her appearance. She's just showing up and being herself and doing an incredible job of it and moving us to tears. And she's incredibly mm. relatable. And mm-hmm. so I think that Hollywood is getting the message. It's just slow and change is often slow. But I think the more that we support those films and those projects, and, and be vocal about that support, you know, comment on your, on the message boards, make a comment, put it out there mm-hmm. and, and get it out there. If you feel moved to, if you, if you feel moved by that, say, you know, thank you, you know, whatever, just put, putting it out there in general, right. starting a conversation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. I intentionally follow Instagram accounts that have women over 50 women in their sixties, because there are some like seriously fashionable women in their sixties and seventies. And I'm like, okay, I intentionally looked for those accounts. Cause I'm like, I know not everyone on Instagram is 20 and wearing, mm-hmm. you know, a bikini or yoga pants or whatever. So I'm looking for those women and I actually love it. it when I see those women in my feed, I'm like, yeah, you rock it, babe. So exactly. <laughs> Yeah, I'm having so much fun on Instagram too. I am I'm on Instagram under the Lisa Levine. Well, because when I wrote the book, I decided that I should make sure that people know that you know, as an author, I am the Lisa Levine because there's a lot of us, Rebecca. There's a lot of Lisa Levine to be surprised. Oh, really? <laughs> <laughs> okay. So, yeah, well, that's I'm good to so know. Fun on there. And cool. It's been a really good a really good tool for me to recognize when I'm going into compare and despair because I'm mm-hmm. human it happens and then to right. pull back and make some changes. So well it it can be a place to do a little compare and despair. So if that's the uh path you go down when you get on Instagram maybe take a break from it but exactly. uh, So I think you've pretty much covered this but I want to go ahead and wrap up with my last question which I think is basically what your book is about. So I know you can't say everything that's in your mind about this, but how can we as women embrace midlife instead of trying to resist it so hard? Well, one, the main thing I would say is just to keep in mind that aging is a privilege. It's a privilege. We don't all get to do it. And so remembering that, that, and that, and that we get to choose how we want to age. We, it's not happening to us. We get to make choices. We're in the we're in the conversation. So it's within our means to make those changes. And it's really all about flipping your perspective on how you feel about it, changing, remembering that it doesn't have to be a crisis. That it that it that it can be a transformation, an empowering transformation. And how do you want to feel on the other side? It's also really, 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 really normal to be having these feelings. You're not alone. Finding a support group, finding a Facebook group, finding people that are going through it at the same time can also be incredibly helpful and supportive to realize you're not, you're not in it on your own. And, and then something we didn't talk about, which really were hormones is to go get your hormones checked and insist that your doctor, if you're, if your regular internist doesn't want to do it, talk to your OBGYN, talk to any kind of practitioner that will give you a baseline because 
it really does make a huge difference in how you feel physically and sometimes how you feel emotionally because certainly if you're exhausted from insomnia, as I said, or you are you know, experiencing a lot of brain fog, it's going to be hard to be your best self. So keeping in mind and giving, again, showing yourself some grace in that respect as well is a way to embrace midlife is to remember you're not alone in it. It's a thing. Some people, you know, are going to experience it differently than you do. But, you know, again, you're not comparing and despairing. You're coming back to this is my experience. Aging is a privilege. How do I want to feel and what can I do to what can I do to make that happen? Beautifully spoken. Sleep deprivation and hormones. Definitely. That was the two things that you mentioned. Those struggles are very real. And I do write a lot about sleep deprivation because so many people have a hard time with sleep. And if you're not getting sleep or quality sleep, then you're going to feel like crap, whether you're in midlife or not. So that sleep deprivation is a huge thing and hormones can't say enough about making sure that you maintain and take care of your health. That's such a priority. And I know you share a lot about that in your book about eating healthy and all of those things. So thank you so much for being on my podcast. I really enjoy talking to you. I feel like there's so much more that can be said. So (laughs) where can people find out more? Can you tell us where they can go to if they want to dive into this topic a little bit more? Absolutely. We can certainly find me on my website, which is It is www.audaciouswellness.com. I sort of chose the word audacious as a brand because, again, when when it comes to aging, I want to age audaciously. I don't necessarily want to age gracefully. I think not that there's anything wrong with being graceful, but who came up with that always felt to me a little bit like, I can't be a good girl and go gracefully. Go quietly. So I'm not interested in that. I'm all about audacious and and how you can live your most audacious life. So you can find me on my website and you can certainly find me on Instagram where I'm having a whole lot of fun and I give recipes and tips and tricks and stuff on, and I am the Lisa Levine on, on Instagram and on Facebook and Twitter. I don't tweet all that much, but I'm thinking that I might start tweeting more. So it's kind of fun. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Well, I'll make sure uh, to put all of those links in the show notes. So if you're listening, you can uh, head to the website and get all that information and find Lisa in all of the various places and dive in and just get more information. She has a wealth of knowledge and the book is again midlife no crisis and it's just really encouraging and you know you can just you don't have to like read through the whole thing at once every now and then I've had it sitting on my um, nightstand for a while and I'll just pick it up and look at one of the pages and oh yeah that that felt good (laughs) so I highly recommend it I think it's a great book and and it really is a topic that I feel that we as women need to discuss more so thank you so much for being part of this my pleasure thank you so much for having me I loved it I love talking to you about this it was very fun thanks for listening please write and review so other people can learn about this podcast find out more about sleep hygiene eating healthy tasty recipes zero waste lifestyle and lots more on thatorganicmom.com help us spread the word be blessed and stay healthy